This is Corridor Cast. This is Kelsey. That was Name by Joseph and the Beast. Joseph and the Beast is really putting a lot of work in lately. I'm putting this show up a little early because they'll be playing the 930 Club Friday, July 28th. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that that's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big club. So get out there, fill it up, and have a good time. They also recently put out a video for their song Tremors, which is really great. If you go to their Facebook, you can check that out. So for some quick Santa Labrada news, this is very exciting. Uh, We have a website up now, santalabradaband.com. And this is really, really exciting. We are making plans to record later this year. Um, I don't want to give out too much information because we haven't really solidified everything yet, but obviously I'll give you more details as that becomes available. Our next show is going to be Friday, August 25th. It's our triumphant return to Frederick with friends of the show, Double Motorcycle. You heard how fun they were and how good they sound, so that'll be a good night. We'll be at Guido's. But getting back to the talk with Joseph Mulholland, Uh, I do want to note that this conversation was before it was announced that City Paper would be closing. So I just want to point that out because it might seem a little odd that that doesn't get mentioned. But RIP City Paper, you'll have a special place in my heart forever. I had a chance to intern there. I proofread. I really learned a lot about being thorough. I hope there's a way that Baltimore can continue to have an independent alternative paper. But we'll see how things go. It's kind of a dark time for journalism, to be honest. But you know what's not dark? Gold Light, Joseph and the Beast new album. How was that for a segue? It's really great. Uh, Some powerful, bombastic synth rock. So get you a copy. All right, without further ado, here we go. Music from D.C. and Baltimore. You'll find it all here on Corridor. Waltzes or cut time or straight for four. You'll find it all here on Corridor. Hey, this is Kelsey, and I'm here with Joseph of Joseph and the Beast. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Doing great. Thanks. Um, so I really appreciate you having me over. Uh, you just moved in this nice, lovely place. I got to take a little tour beforehand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I wanted to get started. Uh, we were just talking a little bit, getting at your origin. So tell me, you're from Western New York, is that right? I grew up in a small town called Hornell. Um, uh it's the home of Bill Pullman. Oh, great! Actually, great. when you drive into <laughs> when you drive into town, it says "Welcome to Hornell, home of Bill Pullman." Oh, that's amazing! Well, <laughs> that's he's our, the best. That's so. our claim to fame: is Bill Pullman, <laughs> president of the United States. He saved the U.S. He did. True fact. He sa- yeah, he saved the whole world. <laughs> uh, so, when did you come to Baltimore, and how? I moved to Baltimore in. September of 2009, after living in Buffalo, New York, for about seven and a half years, um, I moved here for grad school. I actually went to, I actually went to, I have my master's degree in herbal medicine. Oh, really? Um, and I'm uh, not really using it right now because I don't know how. I don't know what to do with it. Um, but. I went to the uh, Herbal Academy of, uh, or I'm sorry, the um, Maryland University of Integrative Health. It used to be called Thai Sophia. And they changed their name a couple of years ago after I graduated, of course. Is that in the city? It's, I don't, I'm not aware. So it's actually in Laurel. Oh, okay. Um, when I came down to look at the school, I, because it's kind of, you know, Laurel's kind of like right smack dab between Baltimore and DC when I moved down, or when I came down here to visit the school, I also spent a couple of days in DC and a couple of days in Baltimore, and I just I felt more drawn to Baltimore. Baltimore reminded me a lot of Balt of Buffalo at the time, and so it felt a lot more like home to move here. And here I am, eight years later, almost still here. (laughs) Oh wow, eight years! It's funny. I was talking to someone um, from Rochester who was talking about how that reminded him of Baltimore as well. Yeah, where (laughs) I grew up is actually kind of smack dab between Rochester and Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, I spent a lot of time, a lot of time at the coffee shops in in Rochester. So in your eight years in Baltimore, uh, how have you seen the music scene changed? Um, well, I guess, were you involved with it right away or did it take no, some time? It took some time. Um, I was pretty involved in the music scene in Buffalo when I lived there. And um, there was a lot going on and there's still a lot going on there. Um, 
the problem with Buffalo is that it's not really a city that a lot of touring bands stop in because it's not really on, it's not really coming from anywhere or going anywhere. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, maybe if a band is going from Pittsburgh to Toronto, they'll stop in Buffalo. Um, but it's, it's just, it's not a, it's not a city that a lot of bands hit nowadays. Um, but with just within the kind of, um, uh, umbrella of buffalo there was always a lot of stuff going on a lot of local shows and a lot of just a lot of stuff but at that time in like 2008 2009 it was just like a lot of um a lot of artists and a lot of bands just making music and just really focusing on the craftsmanship of the music and when i moved to baltimore i was really struck by how the scene was so it was the art and music were so melded together Mm. that it was really hard for me to see myself uh transitioning into that right away i mean i came i i played in punk bands and was also was a solo artist mainly just like playing guitar um and i didn't really know a whole lot about theatrics um and at the time that i moved here i felt like every show that i went to was like you had to you had to know how to like juggle you know flaming machetes while you were (laughs) i don't know it was just it was it was it was a different experience and i was really excited to be here but also very intimidated to insert myself as a performer um and also in getting to be in in transitioning into and getting to know a new city um and also start grad school i just i didn't feel i felt like i needed to focus my time on um being a good student so i actually took a couple of years off from playing um nobody knew that i none of, none of the friends that i actually made even really knew that i was a musician i didn't really talk about it i didn't let people listen to the projects that I had previously been involved in when I lived in Buffalo. So yeah, I really took some time. It took me some time. I don't think I actually played my first, I moved here in 2009. I don't think I ever even played my first show until um, like, like December of 2011. So I was, I was here for over two years before I even oh, wow. played a show. Was that a solo show or? It was a solo show. Okay. Yeah. At Golden West. Oh, it was at Golden West. <laughs> Back when they used to have shows. Yeah, yeah. What happened to that? That's sad. Um, I think that they just wanted to really, f- I mean, cause I used to work there and I still actually kind of work there. Sometimes I pick up shifts every now and then. Um, but uh, I think they just really wanted to focus on being a restaurant. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so how did the show go? Like uh, it went really well. Or? Yeah, it was like a it was like a singer songwriter showcase, which wasn't something that I. It wasn't something I was really. Um, I don't know. I haven't had much experience with like the whole singer songwriter showcasey situation, um, especially you know lately. Maybe in like. Maybe when I was in college in like the 90s or early 2000s, um, there were lots of singer-songwriter showcases at the local coffee house. But uh, I I haven't had very many experiences with that. But it actually, it was a really cool experience. And it actually, um, that's kind of how, that was like the very infantile stages of how Joseph and the Beasts was born. Because Alex, who plays bass mm-hmm. um he was actually the one who put that show together oh okay yeah yeah because i believe yeah. he's he's still working there right he is yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so i want to get to how joseph and the beast started but to backtrack one second you mentioned that you played in a bunch of punk bands and to me that caught my attention because the music you're playing now is definitely more dancey it's a little pop but i love seeing <clears throat> excuse me i love seeing you guys play live because it kind of has that energy of punk like so how did the transition between punk music and Joseph and the Beast, like orchestral, like poppy type thing happen? So I, I was a theater kid in high school. 
I was in all the plays and all that stuff. And when I went to college, I studied vocal performance. And I so I had a very structured and very um, academic view of of music. But I actually dropped out of school uh, with like I think I had like two two classes that I had that I had to take but I just didn't want to do it um and because music had started to become something that I really uh I really hated like I'm talking like 2001 2002 this is a long time ago um I've been around for a while I've been doing this for a while um so I uh um I took some time off from that and then I'm that's when I moved to Buffalo and um I was in a band called the Winter Sleepers um and it was just a three-piece punk band it was myself and um uh Liz Holland who played drums and she is probably the one of the most gifted drummers I've ever played with in my entire life she is phenomenal and then um uh, a, a woman named uh, Veronica Alvarez played bass and then I sang and played guitar badly. <laughs> um, I'm a decent rhythm guitar player. Decent. But like if I'm going to play guitar in a band there needs to be another guitar player in the <laughs> band. <laughs> um, uh, you know. And I've, I'm secure enough in my musical abilities to be able to like you know be able to say that and and uh, not feel bad. Well, you tear up the keyboard anyway, so don't worry about the guitar I try. too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a pretty like night. That was like a really raw, um, just like, it, that was a really cool band. We got a cease and desist from the Canadian band Winter Sleep. What? Because our name was so similar. Oh my God. And we, shortly after that, we broke up. Um <laughs> And then I was in a band called Weather Machine, which is another band where I was uh, the front person. Well, I was co-front person people with, um, it was me and this, uh, she is so talented and so crazy and so weird. Her name is Pam Swartz. And um, she and I um, did this thing where we both played guitar and we both played keyboards and we would loop everything and we must have gone through four or five drummers in like the in the two years that we were together because i think that we just drove everybody that we played with crazy (laughs) with the looping yeah but we um she really taught me a lot about and i'm still good really good friends with her i love her to death um um as with the other two people I mentioned, like we're all still we're all still friends and still connect every now and then. But she taught me a lot about breaking the mold of songwriting. Um, she did a lot with her songs were very um, almost like the musical equivalent to outsider art. Like they they didn't follow a specific structure or format and they were just so weird and jarring and beautiful. And I took a lot of inspiration from that and making music with her was, was um, really cathartic. And I learned so much about myself as a songwriter and what I was capable of playing with her. And um, the music was just insane. Like it was never like verse, chorus, verse, chorus Mm -hmm. format. It was like, they were like movements. It was like, and they were like the A, B and C movement. Um, And they never like, they, they almost never transitioned into each other without some sort of like quirky start or stop. Um, We were kind of like a really messy, fiery furnaces kind of situation. Um, And um, we used to write, lyrics by putting stevie nicks songs in japanese translators and then putting the japanese translation into an english translator that's amazing (laughs) um and uh yeah that was a really great band (laughs) and um and then after weather machine i actually got back together with um the two women that i was in winter sleepers with and we start we started a whole new band with a different name and um hold like a completely different kind of songwriting and we toured all like we basically toured um like 
maybe like three fourths of the of the country. Like oh, wow. we like, we want like a we want on a couple we want on a few like two or three week long tours and like um that was so, it was just so much fun but it it just like burnt all of us out I think yeah. and um and then I went back to school and then I decided I wanted to go to grad school so we just we kind of you know called it quits and they both wanted to start families and um and uh so yeah so that's what brought me here but they, those two bands were like they were um they were I don't, I don't know where my music would be if it wasn't mm-hmm. for those two projects because i learned so much from both of those projects like what? what what did you learn um like what i was talking about before like with pam kind of teaching me to think outside the box with songwriting and structure and that there's uh, there's just like no rules mm-hmm there's no we think there are rules but there's no rules you don't need uh three courses <laughs> right yeah um and with with um with the winter sleepers um i learned that well for myself i learned that you, you don't have to be like the best you know you don't need to be the best singer and you don't need to be the best guitar player as long as you can be as long as you can be a solid songwriter um, and also being able to uh, work with being able to work with what you have. Um, I think that was a bit very like a really big lesson that I learned with that band as well, because I always, I think I was always trying to like be more and do more and fill up more space and like fill up more sound. And it didn't, music didn't really call for that and it yeah. was a it was a lesson i had to learn over time that you know you, you don't need to like sometimes the quiet parts are just as important as the loud parts that's one of the hardest things to do when you start getting more comfortable with your instrument it's like yeah. oh maybe maybe you should play less <laughs> i yeah. see so many i see so many um bands and artists out there that are just such amazing players and they just noodle the shit yeah. out of everything. And I'm like, stop. Yeah. Time and place. <laughs> yeah. Time and place. Sometimes music is a, sometimes music happens in, in, in between the spaces, you know, right. it's so. what they're not playing, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So how did Joseph and the Beast start? Um, so while I was in grad school, um, even though I wasn't really playing, I wasn't playing out and um, wasn't really, you know, fancying myself as a, as a active musician at that time. I, I was, um, I was uh, writing and recording just demos, just homemade recordings at home. And, you know, I also didn't know a lot of people, um, I didn't have much of a social life when I moved here, you know, cause I was moving to a brand new city. And so I would spend a lot of time by myself. And if I wasn't studying or writing papers or, um, doing any of that grad school bullshit, it's I very was, isolating. Yeah. Oh, it's super grad isolating. School, yeah. Um, I kind of made sense of my situation by writing and recording and just kind of, um, just kind of continuing to hone my craft, even if it was, um, even if it was kind of under lock and key. Um, and that was a really great experience for me because I didn't have any expectation about where it was going to end up. And that's how problematical animals was born. The problematical animals was basically the demos that I recorded and what wrote and recorded while I was in grad school. And I released it the same weekend that I graduated from grad school. Oh, that's good time. Yeah. So, um, so that was really, that was a crazy weekend because I just, <laughs> uh, it was like everything I'd been working for, working on, like literally everything in my life that I'd been working on for years was like being put out into the world or like I was, you know, I was like moving forward and, um, about maybe a month and a half, two months before I put the album out, um, 
I was talking with Alex Champagne, um, who had given me my first show in Baltimore and who I had become friends with. He actually, he also mixed the record. Uh, oh, he did? Pro- yeah. He, oh, he, he mixed did. Problematical Animals. Oh, the, that record. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and Patrick, who um, I had also formed a friendship with um, over that year and a half, two years. Um, we were talking about how cool it would be to perform those songs live um, and do a release show as a full band, which I've never done before with my solo stuff ever. Usually I had a very, usually I had a, a pretty, um, uh, a pretty sharp line between collaborative material and solo material. And the solo material was always performed by just, by just me. Mm-hmm. And collaborative material was always performed, you know, in whatever band I was in. So, um, so when I, when they had approached me and said, you know, we really want to do this as a full band, Patrick said, I'll play drums. Alex said, I'll play bass. And I was like, well, I guess I'll play the guitar parts. Um, and I said, well, there's a lot of keyboards on this record. Who's going to play keyboards? And we actually got Amy Reed from chiffon to uh to play keyboards and i think this was before chiffon mm-hmm. was a thing she was in a bunch of other projects at that time um and it's so crazy to see like how far she's gone and like how just how amazing her success has been in music yeah. um that must be neat to to watch her grow and uh, yeah, yeah for sure oh for sure um and so we play we did a we did an album release and it went really well. And um, we all decided that we wanted to continue doing it as a band. Um, unfortunately, Amy had other um, obligations. So, you know, she, after the album release, she decided to step away, um, which was totally, I, I, to, I don't blame her. I mean, she had a lot going on. Mm. Um, but, um, we had this woman named Christine come on and she played keyboards for like a year and a half and we toured a bunch and we played a bunch of solo shows. And at that time we were calling ourselves Joseph Mulholland and the problematical animals. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really look very good on a poster. Sure. <laughs> um, and people kept misspelling my last name and misspelling problematical. They would shorten it to problematic. Um <laughs> I guess in the hindsight, problematical is kind of a precious word and not, I don't think it's a really, a real word. Um, Got to tighten that up. Right. You know, tighten that up for the t-shirts. So, yeah. So, and then Christine was a nurse and she was engaged and she and her fiance uh, were moving to a new city. She had gotten a new job and he had, he had gotten a job um, in North Carolina. I think that's where they live now. Um, but so they moved away. So then we went back to being a three piece and um we weren't very active for a little while and i was just kind of like you know i really want to shorten the name so i shortened it to joseph and the beasts and then patrick had decided that he didn't want to play drums anymore he wanted to go to to guitar which is his first instrument and i really wanted to take a stab at keyboards um which i had never really done just keyboards live um and so and then we found greg to play drums and he was such an amazing addition to the band and that's how joseph and the beasts was formed so yeah it just was kind of it was like a really slow progression but um but yeah so that's how we that's how we got to where we are now in terms of lineup cool um so i'm curious about this because i'm in my first all-female band and you played with female uh female musicians before joseph and the beast it sounds like so was there anything uh different about that you know it's so so like ever both of all the projects that i was in 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 buffalo were like all female except for me like in Weather Machine, it was, or in the Winter Sleepers, it was all female except for me. In the in Weather Machine, two of the four drummers were female. So, um, I've always played with other with I've always played with women, and I don't think that it was never like a conscious thing, but it made sense because I 
I don't, I don't necessarily feel, and I, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I don't necessarily feel like I think with a masculine brain. I don't, that's not how I write. That's not how I perform. That's not how I think of myself. And so I guess it makes sense that maybe subconsciously that's who I was gravitating toward. It was never, but it was never like a, I'm just going to play with women. Um, I see a lot of bands nowadays that make the conscious decision to do that. And, um, and some bands that will even go so far as to say, like, we will not play shows with bands that don't at least have a person of color, a female or a queer person in the band. Um, and I get that, but we've, we've also been, uh, we've also been on the kind of the receiving end of, of some of that where it's been like we don't want to play shows with four white dudes and it's and it can i don't know i i totally get it like i get it and i and it's um but at the same time it's it's also kind of frustrating because you know we work really hard and it's uh i don't know it's just such a strange time because there are so many marginalized people that are now feeling empowered and um and i think that's amazing and it's such a it's it's such a it's such a weird time to be a performer because it it really is um it's interesting to see the kind of privilege that some bands have over others because of the composition of who is in the, the band um so I totally get why why bands and musicians are putting their foot down and saying like we're gonna if we're gonna play a show like these are the kinds of bands that we're gonna play with like this is what we want to represent. Um, so I can't take it too personally and I can't be too like pissed off because I've I've definitely done that too. You know, as a queer person, like I'm I I've definitely I've definitely kind of called those uh, called those plays as well, but when it came to the composition of who we had in our band, I didn't, it wasn't like, again, like just like the bands that I was in when I was in Buffalo, like it wasn't a conscious thing. Um, I've never, I've never really been, I've never really consciously sought out other people to help me perform my music. Um, and I think maybe it was, that was a confidence thing. Like maybe I didn't feel secure or confident to have other people perform what I was writing. And maybe that's why in the past I've, my solo stuff has just been me. Um, so when I had people, when I had people approach me and say, we want to play your stuff, you know, I wasn't really looking at the, you know, the gender of my band or, um, or any of any of that stuff, but I, I will say that um, in terms of how working with um, working with groups, working with a group of like male identified people, as opposed to what I'm used to, which is working with groups of female identified people, like I don't really notice a difference. Like personally, I don't I don't really notice a difference, and I I don't know if that has to do with the fact that I. I consider myself to kind of straddle the line of, of like masculine and feminine. Um, or if it, or if I, maybe I'm just not aware. Enough. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. Um, maybe a little of both. I will say that I will say my bandmates like to drink and that's not something <laughs> I'm used to. Cause every other band I've ever been in has been, uh, it's, has been like, you know, we're like the music nerds that show up and to the bar and we're like huddled in the corner and being like, <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. Is that Alex Champagne's a bad influence? <laughs> oh no! Just he's kidding. Alex. He's ours. They love, <laughs> they love pizza and beer. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only difference, yeah, I mean, <laughs> really. Well, that was the last show. Uh, we played together at Joe Squared, so you got sure both. Did. It was amazing. We sure did. <laughs> that's why we like playing Joe Squared. Yeah, any place that gives you pizza is awesome. 
I've never played anywhere that just gives bands free pizza. Yeah, like, no, I, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Like what? <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, so how big of a pizza do the fruit do the the bands get? And he was like, well, how many people are in your band? And I said four. And he was like, well, then you get the large. And I was like, you're gonna give us a free large pizza? That's insane. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, it, it, to kind of get back to uh, uh, what you were talking about with the um, you touched a little bit on. I guess we're what we're, we're kind of talking about is like safe spaces oh, and yeah. uh so that makes me I wanted to ask you like do you do you feel like identity is a big part of the music you write? I mean you, you said you identify as queer but do, is it something that you consciously think about when you write or does it just kind of inform it or you know it's That's a good question. I When I write songs, I don't really know where my, I don't really know where I go. Um, there have been times where I've written, where I've written songs and I get done writing the lyrics and I look at them and I don't know where they came from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost kind of like I just leave my body or something. I know that sounds kind of sounds stupid, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> I, but I really do just kind of sometimes it's just a subconscious like train of thought that just kind of like presents itself on a page. Um, and it's not until later that I, when I'm actually, you know, putting those words to music or, uh, or sometimes it happens much later than that where I'll, I'll we'll be playing live and I, it'll be a song we've played a dozen times and all of a sudden like the meaning of the song to me hits me and I'm like, Oh, this is what the song is about. Um, so I guess sometimes like it's a mystery to me, even what the songs are about in the moment that I'm writing them. Um, but I will say that I, I tend to not be an autobiographical writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I write about history. I write about, um, I write about things that are going on in the world right now. Um, I think it's really important to step out of yourself and, and point to the things around you that you think are fucked up or beautiful or um, things that you don't think are getting attention that deserve it Mm -hmm. and talk about those things. That's really kind of interesting me more later to, uh, lately too yeah. is um you know just sometimes co- if you do confessional songs well it's great but it's also really good to to open up and talk about history or talk about yeah. the world and um i wanted to ask that that leads to a song i wanted to ask you about specifically because i really enjoyed it um peru 1533 oh, yeah. <laughs> tell me where that came from what's that about so um i was reading a book about Pizarro, um, the Spanish conquistador that, you know, that um, kind of conquered Peru. Um, And I was really, I was really intrigued by the story of, and it's been a while since I've read this. So I don't know if anybody's going to listen to this that knows more about it than me and call me out for being incorrect. You're totally totally welcome to do so i don't claim to know anything about anything but i read i read that when they got to cusco which was like the final city to conquer um they uh the invaders got into an argument about what they were going to name the town square and they started like fighting each other in this town that they had just taken over and all of the native people were just standing around like, what are you and they doing? basically like, they basically like killed each other over trying to rename this town square. And that's why Cusco is so um, like Cusco is considered to be like one of the last remaining ancient cities of, of Peru is because it, it wasn't completely demolished. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of wrote that song about through the eye, like kind of wrote it through the eyes of 
someone who was alive and living there at that time and like seeing all this destruction happen but then seeing that destructive force kind of destroy itself and um and and, you know and as a result kind of saving you um to a certain extent so that's kind of where that song came from and i thought about i mean the song is very specific in title and also very specific in subject matter and lyrically very specific like i named dates i named people i named (laughs) cities um but despite the specificity of that song i think that just something about that idea of like evil destroying itself is so is such a powerful it's such a powerful image um that whereas i think maybe some other people would write the song from from more of a vague viewpoint i wrote it from a very specific viewpoint but like flipped it around i don't know that's just kind of where my head was at when i wrote that but that was a really fun song to write and it's actually one of my favorite songs off of the record and we never play it live because i play guitar in that song and i never have my guitar on me when we play shows (laughs) you'll have to do it for the next one (laughs) i want to do a show at some point where i don't where like i just play all the guitars all of the songs i play guitar on and i like don't i like can just get rid of the keyboard the keyboard uh stand for like a show or two because i used to dance around and jump around a lot more when i played guitar oh yeah i gotta see that yeah. Gotta bring the guitar out. Yeah. Switch it up. We're writing some things. We're writing some <laughs> things where I play guitar. So maybe we'll have a set worth of songs where I play guitar at some point soon. <laughs> good, good, good. As a performer, do you feel like there's anything to to juggle or manage with... Um... Or actually, let me start here. Yeah. Excuse me. Do you consider your songs to be like political in any way? I think so. Yeah. I think so, especially some of the newer things that we've been writing. Um, I think on Gold Light, which is our debut album that came out a couple months ago, I think that I think a lot of the songs on that album and per- Peru 1533 is on that. I think that a lot of the songs that are on that record are political in a historical context. Like, they're about things that um, happened a long time ago. Like the song Bravo is about the bikini atolls uh, and oh, the so. atomic test, atomic bomb testing and how that like basically just erased a, a civilization of people. Um, and, um, and then there's proof 1533. And then there's, um, there's songs like gold light, which is the title track, which is about, um, uh, area 51 and um <laughs> all over the place and, yeah Love and it. just uh there are a lot of the songs on the record have very specific like hamlin is about the pied piper and about like the original story of the pied piper um and you know there are a lot of songs on the album that have a historical context but are but like take a political slant to that historical story um and whereas now we're kind of writing songs because a lot has happened Uh, a lot has happened in the last like you know eight to ten months a lot of really uh, a lot of things we didn't think were going to happen and then dramatic changes and then some things that like we just had like i knew it was going to be bad i didn't know it was going to be this bad (laughs) um so i i feel like it's I feel like it's really hard to not talk about it and to not, um, and to not write about it. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. So, um, a lot of, a lot of our new songs are about that actually. Um, but whereas Peru 1533 was about something very specific with like a very broad kind of, um, uh, with a very broad, feeling uh some of the newer songs that we've been writing have been a kind of 
um, written from more, more of an emotional standpoint and not so um, uh, not so specific in what we're actually and what I'm actually singing about. So um, we have a song that is has been tentatively titled Everybody Loves You uh, for like, I don't know, like eight months now. Um, I think we were writing it around the time of the election mm-hmm. and um, and it was kind of about um, just what the media what the media tells us how the media tries to tell us who we are mm. and um, and to kind of just to not listen to that um, and uh, we have a song called Scatter, which is just very directly about, you know, with this current administration. Um, there's a line I say a couple of times in the song where I say, um, uh, everywhere we go is a warning. Everyone we know is adorning disbelief. Um, and there's just uh and then we have another song that we just wrote um where i just i keep saying uh you awake from a beautiful dream (laughs) um is that your wishful thinking yeah pretty much yeah just like the daydream of things being better and um you know i've also just you know i walk or i walk i walk in this world as a queer person but you know i i identify as male in my day-to-day life and I present as male and I am fully aware of that privilege. Um, and I think that for a long time, I took that for granted. Mm. We haven't been talking about privilege for a very long time in this country. Like at least white people haven't. (laughs) So, you know, well, it's, it's, it's been like it's been like the last few years that we've really been like having that discussion and like that's been coming up and um and the whole American dream is built on the assumption that it doesn't exist so right it's kind of a, right exactly thing. yeah like everyone you know like that we're all on the same playing field and everyone has to work hard to get what they have and it's like nope that's actually not what happens <laughs> and I used to be one of those people who was like well I grew up poor and blah 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 like what is being white? I was like, I struggled. Like we didn't even have a color TV until I was 12. Like, blah, blah. but like who, like but I've still been a lot of things that other people haven't, you know, but, um, but despite all of that, um, sorry, tangent, but it, it needed to be said. Um, but despite all of that, you know, I, I think that for a really long time, I, I, I was unaware of that privilege and now i mean like i went years without anybody calling me a faggot years without feeling uncomfortable um without feeling like i had to hide or like butch it up and i regularly regularly like at least once a week if not more people if i'm walking down the street someone will like drive by and shout a homophobic slur at me or like try to start some shit with me because i'm wearing short shorts or (laughs) or like whatever like at work i mean i work in a clinical environment and patients will come in and like if my hair looks a certain way or if i'm wearing a certain earring or like if i'm wearing a lot of jewelry that day like I have to be conscious of that now and how people are going to talk. To, and it's like not something I ever thought about for the longest time. I'm sorry and to it's, hear that. That's... And it's now becoming this thing where it's just kind of like, wow, things are really like people, like the intolerant people are really coming out of the woodwork now. And it's it's because they have been given a voice and it's fucking scary. It's fucking scary. So like I feel like I have to use my voice now. And whereas I used to be uh happy with writing about historical events, 
now I kind of feel like we're living in a historical event <laughs> uh, for, all the, certainly true. for all the wrong reasons. And I kind of feel like, um, you know, a lot of the songs that we've been writing as a band uh, and that I've been putting lyrics to for the last handful of months, um, I felt like I just needed to like talk about that. So, so yeah, so things that my songwriting has definitely been changing for sure as a queer performer in this environment that you're talking about how do you manage that with being a performer have you had any issues on stage or thankfully i mean like what i was talking about earlier where you know there are a lot of artists and bands in baltimore that are very quick to call out and say we will not perform with bands that don't have a person of color of you know someone who identifies as female or a queer person in the band like like that's been a kind of a comfort because I think that for so long um, I have downplayed the fact that I'm a queer performer because I didn't want to get caught in that cliche of being, uh, you know, like my first band, the winter sleepers, we were, we were all queer um, and we never, identify we never marketed ourselves as like a queer three-piece punk band um because it was like the early 2000s in western new york and it was good old boy time sure um so i think that because of that i that's something that has really carried with me over the years and um but i think that baltimore is a really great community uh the art and music community is super queer yeah. is super queer and it's and um and I, I i i really appreciate that um and i feel at home for sure um and i feel comfortable and i feel supported and i only hope that the bands that we play with feel the same way about us and um yeah i don't know it's good that yeah. if you have to deal with the crap you're dealing with and, you know, on the streets, at least, at least music is a oh, place yeah. for you to come to. Oh, yeah. 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 For sure. Well, um, I, I did want to talk about the new album. Uh -huh. So uh, when did this come out? Was there a concept behind it or was it just like you wrote a bunch of songs? Let's make an album. Or... Yeah. So for for the longest time, we were mainly just focusing on performing songs that were off of my last record, um, my last solo record. And then, you know, I really wanted something to showcase us as a, as a four piece band because we had started to collaborate and kind of write things together. Um, I'm still the main songwriter. So mainly it was mainly just like me coming up with things and then the band as a collective unit, kind of um, organizing those ideas into a structure or, um sometimes Patrick or Alex would come up with something and I would find a way to incorporate that into something I was working on and um but we didn't have anything out there that really showcased that so in the um spring of 2015 we put out an EP called We Don't Seem So Small and that we just kind of put it out we didn't really we didn't do like a release show we didn't get we didn't get um uh, we didn't get anything uh, pressed, like a physical copy or anything. We just wanted to put stuff out on Bandcamp and just kind of like to book shows to be like, oh, here's what we sound like. Um, but then we went into the studio in the fall of 2015 because we just had like a huge cache of songs to record. And we went to um, Rightway Studios here in Baltimore and Steve Wright was actually the engineer behind the record which was awesome he's incredible he did such a great job but um in terms of like a, a theme for the record there wasn't really an overarching theme it was more just we had probably about 16 or 17 songs um that we really that we felt really comfortable with and we kind of we recorded demos of all of those songs and we just gave them all to Steve and said, which pick 10 that you think would go well on an album. So like we got, we let him choose. So he was kind of the producer a little bit. Kind little of. Bit. Yeah. So he chose, he chose what songs he thought would be really good together on a record. And we went from there. 
and um i'm really happy with what he what he chose um for us <laughs> <laughs> um but i think that if if i had to if i had to think about like a, a theme for the record i mean the album is kind of reminiscent of a life cycle so um and even the title of the record is kind of like it's kind of reminiscent of like birth and death in a way like sure think about like you know what a baby sees when they're being born maybe they probably don't see anything because their eyes are closed but if you (laughs) if you were being born and just happen to have your eyes open you probably see a gold light um and also you know you think talk about like people talk about near-death experiences and like seeing gold light and like there's always um, a light yeah yeah. there's always a light so um and i don't know it sounds kind of fucking rad to call it a gold light it's Um, a good title yeah so we were gonna call it something else, and then another band involved. I'm not gonna say what it was, and I'm not gonna oh, say call them out. I'm call not gonna out. say who the band was, <laughs> but another band in Baltimore took our title for what we were gonna call our record, and I will never forgive them. Oh, you sons um, of bitches! And I know, <laughs> and I know they stole it from us because I told the person what we were gonna call our record, and then like they put out their record before us, and they. totally called their record it was intentional that's awful i don't know if it was intentional or if it was like a subconscious like oh that's true but it was so weird i was like why would you call your record that that's what we were gonna call our record (laughs) um so we changed the album to gold light and um well that's i'm happy with the decision but so like the album starts with a song about birth um hot shot is actually just like you know the the first line of the song is you were born. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the very last line of the last song on the album is just me saying dead over and over again. <laughs> so, um, and then like everything in between is a story. Like everything in between is kind of, you know, something that, you know, a point of a point in history, a, a period of time. So um, I guess that, you know, does the album necessarily have a theme? No, but it is pretty convenient and interesting that the first song is about birth and the last song is about death. And I didn't even really mean it that to happen. Yeah, it just like just worked out. Yeah, it just kind of worked out. I mean, the opening song just sounded like an opening song. So, um, and the closing song I just knew was always going to be the closer. Um, uh, the closing song song is called Tremors, and for the longest time we closed all of our shows with that song. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the oldest song on the record. That song is like probably five or six years old. I wrote that song before we were even, before I even had a band. So yeah. Um, But I just knew that that was going to end up being something. Um, So, but yeah, I'm really, I love the record. I think it's really awesome. I wish that, um, you know, we released it in, march and we had a release party at metro gallery and it was really awesome but we just have not really been having very good luck with getting um local press or getting anybody in any of the local arts papers interested in reviewing it Mm, it's just like a it's a hard it's a it's a hard time to get and keep the attention of of uh of local press <laughs> that's I'm for sure i'm not sure how you would do it nowadays i mean this will go out and you know to a handful of people so hopefully they'll hear about it but uh yeah oh, in terms whatever. of getting something in like the city paper something like that i don't even know how one goes about that then these days but well it's so interesting because when i released problematical animals i didn't even reach out to city paper they found me and they wrote an article about me oh wow well it wasn't like an article but it was like a one of those mini, mini like hear this now yeah, blah, blah, things. It was right like a couple up, sure. paragraphs in the like what's happening, you know. And I don't even know how they found out about it, but they like wrote this whole thing about me and like wrote this really a lot of really great things about me. And then so we actually gave them a press release when we um, were getting ready to release Problematical Animals, and they just like weren't interested. Huh. <laughs> so I was like, that's I, that's weird. Yeah, but, well. you know that's how it works. The 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 you know that's a fickle it's a fickle industry so but you know i'm sure that there was a lot of other stuff going on that they 
cared more about. So it's it is what it is. But I don't want to make it sound like I'm talking shit about city paper. No. But that did definitely happen. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how come you cared about me when I I don't know. I think I think they're really drawn to like new things. Yeah. And at that time I was very new. And there weren't a lot of like there weren't really in a lot of other like singer songwriters trying to like do weird shit at that at that particular moment in time. Yeah. I can't speak for the city paper, but I am a I am a reporter. I cover courts though, but I can say like being a journalist that yeah. like sometimes like shit just happens. Like you oh, chase yeah. one thing one moment and then it's like something else is going on so you don't have time. So it's really hard to figure out how to make people pay attention. It is. And oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Um, so uh, what's what's coming up next for you guys? What's uh, what's the plan? So we have a show on Saturday at um, at uh, the Crown. This will probably go out. Come, yeah, this is going to be up in a couple of weeks. So so, um, so we had a show last <laughs> week at the Crown, um, and we're it was amazing. I'm yeah. Sure. We're playing some. We're playing a show in Frederick in a couple of weeks, um, with some really rad bands, and um, we have a show coming up at Wind Up in August, and then we're going to play a show in um, in Durham, and we're going to play a Zine Fest. Uh, at the end of August in Johnson City, Tennessee, which oh, I'm wow. super excited about. One a, a really good friend of mine, her name is Susie Kelly. Um, she is an amazing artist and a graphic designer, and I've known her for years. She actually went to college in the town that I grew up in. Um, there's a small, uh, there's a small college called uh, Alfred University, uh, like one town over from where I grew up, and I met her the summer after I dropped out of college and moved back home and like worked in a library for the summer. Um, but I met her and we've been friends ever since. And she, she has been creating zines forever. She used to have a zine called twig mama. That's really cool. And, um, and, uh, so she, she helped create this zine fest for Johnson city, Tennessee, which by the way, Johnson city, Tennessee is awesome it is such a cool city never been but, super uh, queer friendly but like also rednecky <laughs> sure like, still tennessee it's, yeah um it's it's an interesting place but it's really cute um really cute and like a really awesome there's just like a really awesome scene there um but yeah so we're gonna go down there at the end of um at the end of august and we've actually played in johnson city before so it'll be a nice oh, yeah. cool. uh it'll be a nice return for us um we have some really cool stuff coming up in september too but it's not anything i can really announce right now but um we also have a video that's going to be uh premiered soon for uh for the last song on our record tremors that i was talking about um and that was sharp shot by our friend uh carlos gonzalez who is an awesome he's he's just like he's a really gifted person um, he and Patrick, my guitar player, were actually in a band in, in DC called Bellfleur. Um, and aside from being a musician, Carlos is also a great video artist and he felt really connected to the song. So he made this amazing video for it. And we have just been waiting for months to put this video out. And we finally got a, we finally have solidified a premiere. So um, so that will be happening soon as well. Awesome, so, awesome. Yeah. So lots of lots of things. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, it's great talking to you. Um, Thanks. I, I like to close out with this question. Yeah. Uh, what lesson or what advice would you have for, say, like some 10-year-old or somebody interested in music, but they haven't gotten started yet? Don't listen to anybody's rules of thumb. Don't listen to anything anybody says, honestly. Like, if you are meant to make music, you 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 are going to figure it out, and it's going to be more authentic and more genuine and have more of your stamp on it if you don't listen to the advice of others in terms of the kind of music that you should make or how you should make that how you should make that music. I I learned 
how to write music and produce and engineer on my own. And I'm so thankful that that was something I learned. I might not be that great at recording my own stuff and I might not be that great at like, um, at, uh, kind of, uh, arranging things, but I definitely have my own stamp and I know how to do that stuff because I was, well, partially because I didn't have the, I didn't have the resources. Mm -hmm. I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere uh, in Western New York with an acoustic guitar and a Casio keyboard. And I used to take two tape decks and I would record one part on one tape deck and then play that back while I was recording on another tape deck and then overdub what was recorded on the first tape deck and then what I was doing live onto the second tape deck. And then I would take that and record that back onto the first <laughs> tape deck and just layer songs that way. And that's how I learned how to like harmonize and how to write second guitar parts or how to like write a, um, you know, like write a keyboard part over a guitar part and like how I learned how to do all that stuff. But like, I think it's just, you know, if you have a musical ear and you have a, and I, I don't know. I just think that figuring that stuff out on your own is like the best. It's just like the best way to do it, honestly, because some of my favorite musicians and artists are, are self-taught people that didn't go to school for it. People who are, you know, aren't people who weren't trained necessarily. So um, when it comes to like, business advice yeah i think you should probably take advice from people but... <laughs> yeah that's fair enough but when it comes to like your passion and your art and your craft like you f- like find out what works for you don't don't settle for what works for other people if it doesn't work for you because you're you're basically not being true to yourself and also just like throw some glitter on it <laughs> whatever it is throw some glitter on it throw some glitter <laughs> on it who cares yes. if it's the herpes of the art world just throw <laughs> some glitter on it that's, that's it. amazing thank you so much joseph this thank was a you. blast yeah thank you